Hello and welcome to Conversations with Kath, the podcast that keeps you up to date with the daily antics of your mother, your Alma, your friend, or whatever Kath Vanderhorst is to you. So grab a glass of Harvey Bristol, put the phone on silent, and let's see what's been keeping our favourite 9 year old busy this week. It's a very good evening to Alma Kath. How are you tonight, Alma? I'm very well, thank you, Matt, and how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for asking. Have you Back had an exciting... Yeah, oh, the family's great. Yep, we've um, Mia had a little athletics regional day on Saturday, so we spent most of the day oh. watching her run around an athletics track and a bit of shot put, discus, high jump. Okay, I uh, volunteered good. on, the, on mm. the barbecue for an hour or so, so it was a, oh, yeah. a good family day. Yeah, but they're, yeah. they're, all, they're all going really well. We had Mia's confirmation as well on Friday night, so it's quite a Mia-focused yeah. weekend. Turned yeah. out to be so. But how have you been in Tainong this week? What have you been getting up to? Well, I um, on Sunday I had um, Peter and Dawn here, and they took me to Druin to. Or was that last week? I think that might have been last week. Yeah, I think it was last week. So this week, yeah, I was home. <laughs> Time gets away on me, Matt. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, yeah, I was home on Monday. I um, uh, I think uh, Robert turned up and Daniel. And we had a late night because he didn't get here until about 11. Oh, wow. So okay. this morning I slept in a little bit and then I had Ryan and Ali. They came. And um, yeah, and we had tea last night. Bob did a shitty job. He burned it all. Burned all I'll the have dinner. to get another chef. Yeah, I think you might have to... Um... Yeah, I might look, have look need, another need another chef. <laughs> what was yeah. he cooking that he burnt? What was the dish? Oh, he was cooking just uh, toasted cheese sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, was he cooking a, a lovely roast lamb or something, but just a toasted no, sandwich? No, toasted cheese sandwiches. His, his sandwiches were all, all right. Mine were black. <laughs> oh, as long as his are okay then, that's all that really matters. Yeah. Well, I survived. I survived, Matt. Did you leave the house at all during the week? Did you get to Warrigal? I think mum said you might have been. No? Didn't go anywhere. Anywhere at all? Didn't okay. go anywhere. But now that we can go and the shops are open, they rang me from the garden centre. And, um, you know, on tomorrow I can go to the garden centre. Somebody will pick me up. I will stay there for two hours. The op shop is open. Oh, great. So, so it's, all, it's all coming back again. Um, maybe she might take me to Argyll sometime today. I need to go to the ear people. Ah, maybe the highlight of the week, going to Warrigal. Yeah. <laughs> go to Warrigal. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's good that you're, um, the, the garden centre's opening back up again because you really enjoyed going. Yeah, I enjoy the garden yeah. centre, you know. That's good. And that's, they're good people, you know. They, uh, it's only two hours from 10 till 12, but we'll have a cup of coffee and we'll chat and, yeah. Now, the op shop, I remember we talked about that episode one. Is that weekly or was that fortnightly? No, no, no. That was weekly. And that was in um, Nanagoon. Nanagoon, yeah. And that was only in the afternoon from 12, 12 to 4 o'clock. Okay. So, so your yeah. weekly events are filling back up again fast. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, of course, everybody can visit. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Which is fantastic. I had a yeah. friend. I had a fellow... Um, who'd been away for about four, four months, I think. He came and visited, told me all about his trip because he's been uh, camping in, um, oh, near 
uh, near Eildon there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And they're and back was, there. So. There was a birthday yes, party I'm, you were hoping to get to. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about um, someone is having a, a milestone. Birthday. Oh, Harry, Harry. Harry turned 94. Yes. Yeah, Harry Vanderbilt, he turned 94. Well, I didn't get there. I just yeah. rang him. Yeah. So we couldn't go. Yeah. Oh, well. So. 95, yeah. you can go and see him. Yeah. I think that's what Bobby Bolton is, isn't he? 95. I'd be pretty close. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. early December, I think. Yeah. Not oh, too, okay. Yeah. Not yeah. too far away. Yeah. All right. We might bring in tonight's special guest now. That's right, Matt. Tonight's guest can cook gourmet poffages yet burns toasted cheese sandwiches. He loves going walkabout in foreign destinations. It's the guy who pulls no punches. Bob Vanderhorst. How are you, Bob? Yeah, good, uh, Matt, and good evening to you and uh, your family. Yeah, good, good uh, to see yes, you. Bob. Oh, here uh, you go. <laughs> Already. Right, eh? Right, eh? It's kicked, it's kicked keep. off early. <laughs> and, and burnt food, and you didn't eat all your dinner, so no dessert for you. Just oh, quietly. his sandwiches were all right. Perfect. Yes, so Why I get dessert. So I get dessert, you don't, right? Got to Just remember that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, and how how have you been tracking, Uncle Bob, with uh, with what's been going on in the past eight eight or nine months? Have you been able to see <coughs> your your kids and your grandkids? Yeah, yeah. Look, we've we've uh, we've been pretty lucky, Matt, in in the sense that where we live, we've uh, only got to stage three lockdown, which is. Um, don't let the tourists in for us. So we've really been um, able to do almost anything we like. We've had to wear the stupid face masks, um, which we really, really don't like. But apart from that, um, you know, we could go and, and visit. Yeah, the numbers were down, but out, out in the West, no one really worried about that because we've had no COVID out there. Um, in Colac, where we used to live, they had a... a um, uh, a run of COVID, of COVID and that was through the meat works and, yeah. and then one of the store mills. Um, but further out where we are, uh, out on the Great Ocean Road, without the tourists, it was just bliss, just kangaroos, wallabies, koala bears and um, grandkids. That's yeah. all, all we've had. Um, did you, did you it, notice it then... Affected... Oh, sorry, I was going to say, did you notice that without the tourists there over the... Although it was winter though, I'm not too sure how many sort of how busy it is at that time of year but did you notice any change in terms of like wildlife and things coming back or or, or that kind of stuff um not not really the the tourists where we are don't really affect the wildlife much mm. um in fact they are the wildlife half the time <laughs> um you know they they pull up in the middle of great ocean road and get out and take photos of things without care and who's coming or you know what side of the road they're standing on um so yeah but uh <laughs> certainly without the tourists there and and i'm sure all the business owners in the in the southwest will hate me for it but it's just been magic without the tourists that uh we can actually drive down a road and and uh turn off the great ocean road onto our road without having you know people on motorbikes doing about 90 mile an hour um, around the corners and trying to clean us up. 
Um, no, it's, it's, it's been pretty good. But as I say, with COVID-19, it has affected work because predominantly most of my work's in Melbourne. Um, so we've had to shift focus a little bit and do, do a little bit of different work. Um, so that's sort of been a bit of a challenge for us. But apart from that, um, Tina looks after the, the grandkids. So she literally sees them uh, at least three times a week. Um, and, you know, Tegan will bring them out on the weekend and they'll come for dinner and that sort of thing. So, so we've, we really haven't been affected greatly, um, which, which is good. I suppose the biggest effect is not being able to come and see mum um, I was living here before COVID hit uh, during the week um, for, for work and once COVID hit I sort of had to pull away and, and not be here um, but now that things have backed off yeah we can, we can come and stay again. Come back yeah because for, for, for a long time now you've been doing that haven't you there's a, a certain point or a certain place you work in Victoria that it's much easier just to sort of stay at almost during the week than to go all the way back home is that right? Um, yeah, so predominantly most of our work's on defence bases and uh, our last, last big defence job was at uh, Hastings or Cerberus. So it was just um, easier to come and stay at Mum's and just drive across. It took about 45 minutes to get from here to Cerberus, but it just meant that Mum had, had the company in the evenings, um, someone to drink with and have a schlockies. Um, and yeah, it was good for me as well because I wasn't just living by myself in, in motels and so on. So, and that was a two-year project. So I actually stayed here during the week for, for roughly two years. Wow. I would have loved that, the, uh, the company, which is, which is great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, before we jump into tonight's topic, Bob, I thought I'd give you a bit of a right of reply to an episode where we had Uncle Frank on and he, he threw a few... Uh, oh, a few slagged a few people off, I guess you might call it, in the, uh, that episode. I didn't, give, I didn't give Johnny and Peter the, the same right of reply and I do apologise to those guys. But, um, yeah, what would you like to uh, throw back to Frank, Bob? Write a reply for Frank. Now, poor old Frank, he, he's got this idea that he's the favourite son. Now, he works very hard to be the favourite son. And you know, as he pointed out, his initials actually spell fave. Francis Andrew Vanderhorst. But what you need to know, Matt, is that Frank or Francis was named after a series of uh, motion pictures in the in the sixties, starring Francis the Talking Mule. Now there were seven of these motion pictures in the sixties, and, and uh, sorry, in the fifties, I should say, in the fifties. And, and bridging into the 60s. Frank was born in 62. Now, I wasn't there, but I can only imagine this came about because when Dad, or Opa, entered the hospital, took one look at his, his new son for the first time, he's probably thought, this kid looks like a bloody donkey. And hence, Francis, the talking mule. So, not sure, but I think that's where that's come from. So, if he wants to turn that into fave well you know we do have to cut him some slack because you know, as as you know frank's got a very difficult job he works hard he deals with a lot of stuff in his job yeah it, it's quite you know taxing on him 
And uh, quite frankly, he's the oldest builder's labourer that I know. Uh, hang on a minute. I thought, I thought Uncle Frank was a, a policeman. Oh, well, well, I can see how you'd be confused there, Matt, because Frank's always claimed to be a policeman. But the, the fact is, he works for this builder named Bill, and he has done for at least 25 years that I know of. And about twice a month, he goes to the police station and he says he's working for the police. But what it actually is, he working with the police. He's actually a police informant. And twice a month, he goes in and does his bit with the police. So he's actually a builder's labourer. He's worked for the man for 25 years. Um, what can I say? Has anybody ever met this Bill person? Well, strangely, I haven't, and I don't know hmm. any of our family that actually has. So maybe that's another ruse. Okay. We might have to look into that, I think. I think so. My initials, which, which mum touched on for, unfortunately, you know, RS, but the reality of that is my, I was named after politician. Now, if we apply the same uh, method of naming children that, that dad had, he's probably walked into the hospital when I was born and said, this one looks like he's full of bullshit. We'll, we'll call him Sir Robert Menzies. <laughs> oh, I think the Menzies one. Anyway, enough of that. Let's uh, move that's on. A, um, yeah, that's a, that's a great writer reply. Over to you, Frank, I guess. We'll see what he comes back with uh, next time he's on. Fave, Francis. There you go, the mule. Tonight's topic, I'd like to talk about Dutch traditions. Now, uh, yes. we spoke a few weeks back. Alma mentioned there was some donuts you like to make on New Year's Eve, which um, I'd like to make this New Year's Eve as well, or at Christmas time even. But I'd like to talk about traditions, Alma, that you used to do while you were living in Holland until you moved across here. And then I'd like to talk to Bob as well about what traditions he remembers as a kid and what he's passed on to his own family. So is there anything, Alma, that you remember when you were growing up? Any Dutch traditions you did? Mind you, Matt, when I was growing up, the war was on. So it was pretty ordinary. You know, there was nothing much to... Um, but we did have New Year's Eve and we had... Uh, we called it Olibolle which was like a, like a sort of a donut. It was a deep fry thing. And we used to have it with, um, with um, plenty of icing sugar and butter, dipped in butter, of course, being Dutch. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But other than that, yeah, no, there wasn't much. In them days, there wasn't. The war was on. Everything was on rations, Matt. We didn't have, we didn't have any. I hadn't seen chocolate for many years. What about um, Christmases back in Holland when you were when you were growing up? Oh, Christmas was um, on the sixth of December. Remember Santa Claus, yeah. and uh, Santa Claus came in the middle of the night and he left uh, the goodies on the table. We always had our, our um, initial in um, in chocolate, like my initial was T, T for toast. So I had a big T in chocolate. We had, um, and we got, you know, a new apron and some school books and, you know, and maybe a few lollies. But that was about it. And Christmas Eve is traditionally when you guys would celebrate it, wasn't it? That was when everybody 
was Christmas Eve the night that you, you know how most people celebrate Christmas Day or in Australia, it's typically Christmas Day. It's Christmas, it's Christmas Eve over Day. in Europe, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was Santa Claus. And Santa Claus had some helpers and they were Black Peter. They called him Black Peter. And of course, there is one in Holland now because they don't want these helpers. But these were, you know, <laughs> Santa's helpers. And Black Peter yeah, used so to... So just on that, uh, you mean it was St. Nick, not Santa Claus. It was St. Nick, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. St. Nicholas. He was a bishop. He, he was a bishop in, uh, I think it was in Spain, you know, in the early, uh, I don't know, 1400s. Yeah, and that tradition is still being uh, um, celebrated in Holland today. And they're trying to do away with his helpers, who happen to be black. They're white people, but they put shoe polish all over them, make them look like the real thing. The taboo and, black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Santa used to, St. Nicholas used to come in the middle of the night and leave all the goodies for, for us children, yeah. What about the, the festival that happens in Boxmere every year that Bart's a, a part of and, and his sons? Oh. Is that, was well, that around when you that, were young? That, yeah, that's right. And it's still going, uh, Matt. That happened in the early 1400s. There was a priest. Because, mind you, where I come from, that part of Brabant is very, uh, um, oh, how do I say it? There are a lot of Catholics there, most Catholics than any other religion. And this priest was saying mass, and while he came to the consecration, he stood there and he thought, this can't be. When he had to say, you know, this, the blood of Christ, or, uh, he stood there and he thought, that can't be right. So he sort of stood back, and as he was saying it, he stood in front of the chalice and all of a sudden, instead of the wine that was in the chalice, I think that's what happened, it overflowed and it turned into blood. And the droplets are still on, the, oh, on that piece of cloth. Wow. And that happened in the early 1600s. And ever since, every year, we still have um, a procession. And the Hutton family have done that for years and they go into the big tower and ring the bells because there is a procession and it goes right through the town. So when they ring the bell at a certain time, certain stage in the village, the, the, the people know where the procession is just about. And so your, your dad was a bell ringer? Oh, yes, my grandfather was, my father yeah. was. As a matter of fact, my dad was made man of the year. Ah. Yeah. And Bart is doing it now with his children. It has to be done by, uh, I think it's three or four people. And it's just a great big piece of four by two. Yeah. And you, you knock these big, great big bells that are in the tower of the church. Yeah, yeah. I remember saying so. Very about... interesting. It's yes. not very often. It's not very, you know, it only happens in two other places in Holland, I think. And it's called Bayern. Bayern. Yeah. Okay. Bayern, yeah. It's sort of like a musical thing. And they can only do it for a certain, certain um, amount of time, I think 10 or 15 minutes, because it's very hard work mm. to do that. Yeah. And of course, during the war, the Germans were eyeing off these great big bells 
and of course they had to be they had to be taken out of the church and hidden i know so those original bells are still there from well i'm not sure if it's the original ones you have to ask bart mm. or yolanda maybe they know yeah because it's so long ago and i can't really remember all this but that's that's what happened yeah yeah a pretty cool tradition did you and it happened in the early in the early 1600s and um uh, it, it lasts for a week and there is processions you know all the little boys are, are uh, dressed up in little um what do you call these um oh anyway the little girls are all in little dresses and there is a procession and we take baskets of flowers and we throw the flowers out and and all the clergy are in there and they carry that host that original host they carry that around oh, yeah. the church people yeah yeah Jeez. and all the communities are behind it you know so it's a very it's a very big thing really yeah it's great that your family gets to have such a or play such an important role as well yeah yeah um uncle bob what about you in terms of what you remember growing up as a kid we'll start off um, with um well basically what what i remember as a kid um tradition wise there wasn't a lot of um non-food related traditions so <laughs> you know mum and dad came to australia and and you know, to their credit, they simulated into the um, Australia community and Australian environment, um, unlike uh, some of our guests today that think they can come over here and change everything. Uh, Mum and Dad came and become Australian. So there, there are some traditions, but uh, most of it is, is around foods. So the non-food traditions, of, of course, the obvious one that has to be mentioned is the carpet on the table. Um, you know, that's uh, uh, growing up, we always had carpet on the kitchen table, except when we were eating and the carpet got, got put away, not on the floor, but so, uh, wait, sorry, when you, when you say carpet, you mean carpet that you walk on? Uh, well, quite possibly, it was an actual a rug for a table, but um, to anybody else. You know, they'd walk in and say, why is the mat on the table? You know, should that not be at the front door? Um, <laughs> so we thought it was normal. Um, we grew up with it. So a, a big mat on the table was just a normal part of life for us. And um, some of us, not I, but some of us do actually still have the, the mats on the table. I know Jenny had a mat on the table for a while and... Um, was constantly asked why she had the floor coverings on the table so she ended up doing away with it i think your mother uh puts a mat on the table i was gonna say we've got one on our dining room table but i mean the table in the kitchen but not once did i ever know that that was a a, a dutch thing i just assumed that people had these things on tables but but that, that's the thing with tradition matt um yeah. a tradition to to us is not necessarily a dutch thing it's purely what we what our family does as the normal um so understandably you would just think that that was the normal thing to have on a table yeah, it's only when your friends come over and go what the hell's the bloody rug doing on the table <laughs> well there you go i've, I've learned something. so yeah so um a, a, apart from from um that i mean you know we, we had the yeah, in previous episodes, we've we've spoken about the motoclopper. Um, 
I don't know that that's really a tradition. That's that's something that we we remember as a uh, for us it was a a Dutch item. Uh, here in Australia, we don't really use a a mat beater as such um, or an ass beater. Depends how you want to look at it. Um, but you know, I wouldn't really call that a tradition because that that was something you know, mum and dad had. But I don't think. Um, we've sort of carried that on as a family tradition or something that we all do. So um, defining, um, defining a, a tradition can be a bit, bit hard sometimes in terms of, you know, what's a Dutch tradition and what's a family tradition. So um, as I said, mum and dad simulated to Australia, dropped a lot of the, the Dutch traditions, I'm guessing. Um, you know, there was plenty of uh, Dutch um, language spoken in the house at different times, particularly when they didn't want us to understand or hear what they were saying. But of course, if you hear it often enough, you soon put two and two together and work out you're getting hiding. So, um, you know, most of us learnt a little bit of Dutch um, purely for t self defence most of the time. Um, when you heard uh, Dad start in the shed with his, uh, with his Dutch swearing, you, you knew to run. Um, and you knew to run fast and usually not in a straight line. You, you, know, you started to throw in a few weaves and maybe the occasional roll across the lawn, just trying to avoid what was uh, possibly following you. Um, and, and Peter's a good one to ask about uh, things that used to follow him across the lawn as he ran out of the shed, um, particularly when he broke a drill bit or, or something else that was near and dear to father's heart. Um, so, yeah, again, they're probably not traditions, but yeah, that, that's the things we, we remember growing up as well. Uh, as far as food traditions, well, there's, there's a whole swagger of them. There's a, there's a big list. Um, you know, I, I guess one of the most important ones is Waddle Stomp and Gahok Bowl. Uh, I think most of the family still uh, enjoy a nice big bowl or plate of wattle stomp, which is uh, carrots and potato mashed together, um, plenty of butter and some gravy. And a gahok bowl is a, is a meat ball with lots of spice, mainly made up of, um, of nutmeg. So nutmeg is a, is a very big spice for, for Dutch food. Um, so yeah, so we've got our, our wattle stomp and our hock bowl. Um, Tina actually makes uh, frozen meals for mum and one of the those meals is wattle stomping and uh, hock bowl. So we, we enjoy that on a regular basis in our house and our children enjoy wattle stomp and our grandchildren enjoy some wattle stomp. So that's, uh, that's gone quite a few generations now. Um, Growing up, we used to have this thing called cold click, which was uh, cabbage, mashed cabbage and mashed potato. That's definitely one that I have not taken anywhere but to the bin. Um, yeah, cabbage cabbage does not go with anything, Matt. Um, contrary to what you may believe, it is horrible. So we used to have uh, every different coloured cabbage known to man. Um, ask, uh, ask Jenny about the red cabbage. She could probably tell you a story too about red cabbage. Um, probably the biggest thing that most people remember is, is our soup, our 
just plain beef broth or um, you know, beef soup. Now this was a, a, a soup that consisted basically of, of you take a, a, a cut of meat, usually gravy beef, and you sat it on the stove. And we had a, a wood-fired stove in Glen Rowan. So the, the soup pot would sit there for, for many a hour, um, in fact, all day and half the night. So it'd be a very slow cooked bit of beef and all the flavor would come out in the soup. And then uh, because there were so many in the family, mum and dad had to be a little frugal with, uh, with the way they did things. So this, the meat was stolen from the soup for an, a later dish and uh, then other things added to the soup. So our children, called that soup Ormi soup because every time we came to uh, Ormas, that was the soup they got. So uh, our kids promptly called that Ormi soup. And to this day, um, now our grandkids enjoy Ormi soup. So uh, I'm a, sure. That's a very, very famous dish, that one. That'll keep on going is, down the generations. I remember coming home from school and quite often that had uh, been cooked up. So we'd um, have a bit of that. And, Alma used to throw in, I'm not too sure if you did it when, when you were a kid, Bob, but there was a very thin like spaghetti. It wasn't spaghetti as thick as spaghetti, but it was very thin noodle. It was in there as well. Yep. That was vermicelli. Oh, so yeah. that, was, that was always in there. And um, you could usually tell how, how old the soup was by the thickness of the vermicelli. Because when vermicelli is first put in, it's a very thin noodle. And after several days of, you know, getting towards the bottom of the pot, it, it becomes very, very thick, soft um, uh, noodle. And actually, and that's when it was at its best. Um, so, you know, the, the Ormi soup or the, the beef soup that we used to have, always best on about its third day. Um, because it, just, it always stayed on the stove and it just continued to cook. And no matter what you put in it, it just kept cooking and, yeah. It was, uh, none was ever thrown away. It was always, you know, to the bottom of the bottom of the pan and, yeah, looking for more. But uh, the, the next thing on the list is, is what happened to the meat from the soup. Well, that mm. usually became either croquettes, which are a, um, uh, a mixture of the, the slow-cooked meat. So it's, it's what we would call pulled beef today. Um, so it's that that meat and then it's mixed with uh, quite a lot of um, diced onion that's sort of fried off and caramelized and then that's mixed with a, a few other minor ingredients and then it's got flour cooked into it and then rolled into a ball covered in breadcrumbs deep fried spread on on buttered bread and uh, and, and away you go so they uh, they were quite a, a delight growing up and I make those at least uh, half a dozen times a year. We've always got croquettes in the fridge at home. Uh, my daughter, Tegan, she makes croquettes. She actually, one of her cooking classes when she went to school, she made croquettes at school. So um, she makes them for her kids. And uh, that's another tradition that's going to uh, live on for quite a long time. The, the second thing that was made out of this uh, stolen soup meat was a dish called Huzara Sla, which is uh, the potato salad. And uh, this potato salad usually um, uh, accompanies mum with her birthdays um, every year. So I, I bring a, a quite a large 
portion of the potato salad and I'd uh, very seldom get to take any home. So it, uh, it's always either completely eaten except for the portions we squirrel away and hide off for, for mother after a party. So she's got it for a few days afterwards. Um, again, Tegan uh, makes the potato salad and her kids uh, enjoy the potato salad. So again, you know, that's another tradition that's, that's going for a few uh, for a few years yet. Uh, another big one that uh, sadly is is getting a bit hard to find these days is the rookwurst. So rookwurst was a, a Dutch sausage that was always uh, available in our in our home growing up. Um, usually thrown in with the wattle stomp when it was cooked, um, but later on, you know, just as a as a sandwich meat. I'm guessing, um, but the the main one here in Australia was was Don and Don have stopped making the rookwurst. Ellie have a an imitation rookwurst that's made out of sawdust and uh, sausage stuffing, and it just tastes like it sounds. It is horrible. So Tina has been working on uh, developing her own rookwurst, ah. and it's a matter of YouTubing um, all. Th- all the YouTube videos she can find of Rookwurst in both English and Dutch um, because you can't rely on an English version of a, a YouTube video for a Dutch sausage. So, so she watches both and, and she's slowly getting there. We've, we've had a few trials and we're pretty close. And uh, once we get close enough, we'll, we'll start to roll them out with the family as the the new Rookwurst. I was so going to say, uh, is, is there a chance we might see these at uh, the 91st birthday party? Well, quite possibly. We, oh, we, yeah. we are working on it. The, the, one of the biggest things on it is the smoking uh, technique. So we've, we've sort of gotten fairly deep into the smoking um, barbecues and that sort of thing so that we can try and perfect these. So, yeah, we are getting there. <clears throat> the next thing I'll briefly touch on is is a dish that uh, mum and dad used to love and uh, us kids weren't, well, we liked it, but we're a bit dubious of it. And this was very rare beef. And uh, dad used to cook his beef and he'd basically get the pan to, to a temperature that it was about to burst into flames. And then he'd throw his steak on and as it hit and sizzled, he'd rip it off, turn it over and just as quickly, it'll be on his plate. So it'll be, be nice and uh, look okay on the outside. But when it hit our plate, pretty much all of us kids, we'd poke it with a fork and we'd listen to see if it moved. And if it uh, didn't move and it didn't wriggle, eh, we'd, we'd give it a go. But it was that rare. Um, and, uh, yeah. We, so the, question, uh, the question was never asked, how do you like your steak? It's just, here um, it is. Yeah. Cooked, cooked, please. <laughs> so, so that was one that we're not carrying forward. Um, we we actually like I don't mind a medium rare steak, but uh, blue is not for me. Um, the so that sort of covers the meal side of the the traditional cooking, I suppose. Um, uh, I guess the question was, you know, how have we brought these into our family? Well. Yeah, we've, we've brought them right into our family and, and my entire family, my children and my children's children are enjoying those foods on a regular basis. And, uh, 
and they know where they come from and, and they know the history of, of, you know, why we do it and, and what we do. The, the next ones are um, probably just treats, I suppose. And uh, th there's a little bit of a bit of a list on. Um, I, I guess the, the, the first one and the big one is uh, the, the one that you mentioned is the Ollie Bollum. So that's uh, basically it's a Dutch donut. We, we, we pitch it to the children and the grandchildren as a Dutch donut. And uh, they accept that, and therefore they're quite happy to, to hoe in them. Um, now, all as they are is, is basically uh, a flour uh, with some eggs and uh, some yeast. So it's plain flour, some, uh, some eggs and some yeast. Uh, a bit of cinnamon, and of course it's got to be good Dutch cinnamon like canel. And, uh, and either sultanas or raisins, or both, um, depending on how you're feeling. And then you mix all that up and leave it stand in a nice warm place for a few hours till it doubles in size. And then you start scooping it out with a spoon, with a couple of spoons into the deep fryer as drop donuts. And when, when they come out, they go on the plate, they get dusted extremely heavily with, uh, with the uh, icing sugar and, and enjoyed. Now we used to do this every New Year's Eve as was the the tradition we had as as kids, we really only saw them as as a, a New Year's Eve treat. So in our house, we started them at New Year's Eve. As our our children grew up and and uh, moved away, we would then only see the kids uh, mostly at Christmas time, or the ones that were interstate. Of course, we'd see them at Christmas, not necessarily New Year's Eve. So we started to to move the tradition to. Um, to a family treat when, when the whole family come together. Uh, but of course, they're so delicious that uh, I'll cook them a couple of times a year for myself anyway. Um, so that, that's the Ollie Boller. The, the other big one that, of course, our family all know is the poffages. Um, most of us have all had a, had a crack at the poffages. But, you know, at home and particularly, again, when the kids come to visit, we would cook poffages at least, I don't know, at least a dozen times a year. So um, if we get a chance to, to drag out the poffet Japans at a, at a function or a birthday, we, we do that as well. Um, so that's, that's a, a tradition that's sort of going to live a, a long life in our family. Um, another one for Christmas is the uh, um, cast crunches. So I'll use the Dutch words where I can and know them. So cast crunches are the almond rings. So yeah. your mother makes a, a fairly mean almond ring yeah. and uh, Tina makes pretty good almond rings and almond logs. So um, I'm not sure who else does them, but uh, they're always a, a, you know, a Christmas staple in our house. Um, our kids aren't so keen on the, on the amount of almond in them, but Tina and I love them. So that's what's important. Yeah, I think Another big thing yeah. growing up was Crankabrook. So Krantabrot is a, is a raisin bread with, with just an extreme amount of fruit in it. it, it it's probably got more fruit than, than dough. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's a bit of a delight and it's lovely toasted and, of course, with a big slab of butter and possibly some sugar. Um, and there's no possible about that. Sugar's, sugar's a must. 
Uh, so that still goes at home, and we actually make our own cranberry. Um, Tina Tina loves to bake, as you've sort of noticed at some of the parties. So yeah, she she bakes bread on a regular basis. Um, does her own rolls. Does her own um, um, Easter hot cross buns, and the same sort of mix for the hot cross buns just gets jazzed up and turned into cranberry as well. So so yeah, a again, that's uh, another another traditional food that we're just keeping on going. Uh, on bake cook was a, a big one when we grew up. On bake cook is a honey cake. And this is a cake that uh, for some reason you put on bread and have as a sandwich. Cake and a bread. Strange. Um, didn't yeah. quite make it to our, to our list of uh, traditions to keep going, but certainly as a, as a kid, um, Got a lot of strange looks at school when you turned up with a, uh, <laughs> a honey cake sandwich. But anyway, uh, each to their own. Um, a big thing, and, and you know this one yourself, is the Hafelsloch, mm -hmm. um, both chocolate and fruit sprinkles. Um, we buy them, uh, particularly when they come out in Aldi, we just about buy the shop out and then <laughs> put them away in a nice cool place and supply them again to our children and grandchildren because they've, they've only got the foresight to buy two or three boxes so we just go and clean out the store um so that's uh, a big one for us uh chocolate pasta uh do you remember that one growing up matt so that's the condensed chocolate milk with the, uh, chocolate with the good uh, yeah good chocolate powder the the drosters chocolate powder in a condensed milk, uh, lovely on toast. That's right. Uh, yeah, so that uh, still, that still, uh, still is a popular favourite in my house. Um, and that, of course, brings me to Droster's chocolate. Um, our pantry is is very rarely seen without at least one box of Droster's uh, cooking chocolate in there, and that's the one with the flying with the uh, the nun on the on the box or the tin. Where can um, you get that from? Um, look, we, we buy a lot of our stuff online from the Dutch mm. shops. Um, yeah. there's, there's a couple of them around, but there's a Dutch shop in, in Berwick. Um, Jane, Jane visits that one occasionally to pick stuff up for mum and I guess some stuff for themselves. Um, but yeah, it, it, you've really got to hunt around, but the best, the easiest place for us is we just go online and, um, and buy through one of the Dutch shops online. Um, the the next big one, I suppose, is a speckleass. That's yeah. the the Dutch biscuit, or as our friends used to call them when they'd see them, uh, windmill biscuits. So that's the the um, again very heavy in the in the uh, Keneal department, um, and they're they're stamped with a, a picture of a windmill, and uh, very nice. I opened a pack so of those the, today. The and they were very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you slap yours on a piece of bread like Opa did, Bob? What do you say? No, I, I, I tend to like to eat my biscuits as biscuits and eat my sandwiches as sandwiches. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I try not to, um, to to cross those over too much. So, yeah, that's an Opa thing. And we'll leave that one with him, I think. Um, growing up, we had a, a lovely thing called Wendell Tavies which is uh, the French toast. Um, I, we, we had that very regularly uh, growing up, but it's not one that we've sort of taken forward with us. 
Um, not sure why or what the the logic is on that, but that was a childhood one. Uh, the race to pop, which which Wilma mentioned the other week, um, which is the rice pudding. Uh, that was always a favourite. I wasn't as keen, um, so it didn't sort of make it to our house. Um, so the the next one is uh, stroke waffles. I'm guessing is uh, is another big one. Now they're the um, the caramel wafer. Um, they they're pretty good. We still still enjoy those at home. Um, and I suppose last of all is the splinter cast. So that's the um, the cheese with the caras, caraway seeds in it um, that was named Splinter Cast because it looks like it's got splinters of wood in it. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we, we still have that one at home. Um, yeah, I suppose other things that I, I sort of grew up with and, and sort of missed was uh, fried banana in rice. Now, that was always, every time we had fried rice, that was always a fried banana in there. I tried to get that one going at home, but my wife and my children looked at me as if I was quite retarded and uh, that never really went anywhere. Uh, and the, the final one that I remember, which is worth a mention, and, and this came to light when, uh, when our Uncle Pete, which is uh, Bart's and uh, Yolanda's, Yolanda's father, yes, um, came to visit. And, and when they came over, they would come over for, for huge holidays. They'd be here for seven or eight weeks and they'd literally move in. And uh, they used to like their warm beer with uh, about half the glass of head. Couldn't un quite understand that because um, here in Australia, we we like our beer sort of kept in the fridge and not in the oven. So um, we didn't keep that tradition either. So that that pretty much covers our, our traditions at home. Um, if you need uh, any of the recipes for these these meals, and in uh, in plain sensible English that's easy to easy to understand. So uh, if you need any, yeah, and if anybody needs any, just sing out, and I can email them a copy. And, yeah, I've, uh, I've been making the notes there. There's uh, quite a few that I'll be following you up on. But it looks like yeah. you've um, you've kept all the all the good ones, gotten rid of the cabbage and the blue steak and the, the warm beer. So. Yeah, yeah. Glad you didn't pass them on. No. Who would have thought? <laughs> Poms are the same, apparently. I don't understand it. Yeah, I can't understand it either. No. Icy cold for me. So um, that's a really good list there. And I know the um, a lot of those foods you spoke about, Bob, do turn up at Alma's birthday parties and they, they go like hotcakes or go like puffages. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah, they do. Yeah, very popular. All right, we might jump into the mailbag now. This week's question comes from your favourite grandson, Matt Olmer, and he writes, Hi, Olmer, loving the podcast so far. When you moved to Australia, how long did the flight take? Oh, we left on the 14th, sorry, on the 14th of September, and we got here on the 22nd. We only flew during the day. Wow, eight days. So, yeah, seven days. Yeah. So you'd yeah. you'd fly for most of the day, and then they'd put you up in a hotel overnight, wouldn't they? Oh yeah, or we were in very very upmarket hotels. 
They used to pick us, when we, when we landed, they used to come and pick us up in a bus and drove us, give us a guided tour to the city, wherever we were, yeah. and dropped us off at the hotels. And the next morning we were picked up again. Wow. But then we finally got to Australia, to Fremantle. That's when we were migrants. You know, ah, they stopped us on the tarmac <laughs> and we had to, yeah. And we, were, and we were slept the night, I think, in Nissan huts. They were handed a, we were handed a tin plate and we had to go and find some food. Oh, jeez, what, yeah, <laughs> what a welcoming party. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't very good. We kept thinking, oh my God, you know. We were really spoiled, yeah. Now, but anyway, now, they flew us back to Melbourne and from Melbourne we made our way to Lilydale and that's where we stayed for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, Eight days, that's uh, quite a long time. How, how did you pass the time? Because obviously now you've got so much entertainment options at your fingertips. Back then, there would have been... Was there oh, a, it was pretty rate, boring. Rate or? No, there was nothing. And that, that aircraft had, didn't have a high-pressure cabin, so we fell in every pot and hole. Oh, God. <laughs> and you know, when we finally got to Melbourne, I swore I'd never, ever go back. Wow. It was a heavy ride. Yeah, that didn't but last, then the trip from Melbourne to Marlborough was even worse in that um, um, little train, you know, the little red train. It was like everything moved. That <laughs> was terrible. <laughs> yeah. It took us 25 years to go back. Yeah, it would have been quite a change then. 25 years. Came a long, it was, air travel yeah. came a long way. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, there you go. All right, Matt, I hope that has answered your question. Yes, it has. All right, Bob, thank you very much for, for coming on. You've uh, made Thanks, me hungry uh, after all that. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. Especially these, these Ollie Bullers. They've, they've um, caught my ear ever since um, they were mentioned a, a few weeks back, so I'll have to make them for my kids. Well, you, um, you, you, mu you must have been busy because at the... Uh, was uh, in the factory where, where I had the party in the factory, we actually had Ollie Boller as uh, one of the desserts. Oh, really? Yeah. I must have missed, missed that because generally I like to try a bit of everything at those parties because they're mm. quite a feast. So, yeah, so yeah. We, we, we tried to feature yeah, well, pretty much everything we had on that list I had. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so, yeah. But Ollie Boller was sort of late, was late after lunch, and um, yeah, maybe you missed them. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Oh. Uh, try and make some of and then we'll get some get some of the ninety first. Yep. If uh, if you're ever up the sunny coast, there's a little Dutch bakery uh, I can send you the address of that uh, have Ollie Boller. They sell them over the counter. So yeah, really, I'll get I'll get Tina to send you the address. Yeah, please do. That'd be that'd be great. We we head up there, you know, quite, quite a bit. So I'll have to call in. Occasionally. Yeah. Thanks um, for the tip. Can't think of the little little town that it was of the name of vages me at the moment but I'll, I'll get tina to to send it to you excellent it's in chancellor park chancellor park was it okay no yeah, worries that's uh, daniel oh thanks daniel Sorry. chancellor park good on you I'll, uh, go visit that, visit that. all right Omar, thanks for jumping on again thank you matt you're doing a really good job good i hope you Very are, entertaining. are enjoying coming on every week all right, that wraps it up for Conversations with Kath for this week. Have a great week.